Welcome to the Sharid Sedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Sharid Sedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Why are we here? No, not in the existential sense, why are we here, but why are we gathered here in this temple today? This temple is our place of prayer and It is an indirect descendant of the original temple in Jerusalem. In fact, this very sanctuary that we are sitting in was constructed so that when its seats were filled as they are today, the entire congregation would face east toward the holy city. In the ancient mindset, which is honored symbolically, if not literally, in our modern tradition, Jerusalem was the holiest city on earth. It was believed to be the navel of the world, the remnant of the umbilical cord that tied the creation to the creator, the earth to the heavens and the throne of God. In earlier times, they believed that all the holiness in the world emanated from a single point in concentric circles like ripples in a pond after a small pebble has been dropped. The walls of Jerusalem are one ripple. Then the next smaller circle of holiness was the temple, attended to by the tribe of the Levites and administered by the Kohanim, the priests. The temple was the center of Jewish ritual worship for a millennium. Within the temple itself, the smallest circle still was the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies. This small room was the holiest place in the holiest place, containing the Ark of the Covenant and the original tablets that Moses carried down from Sinai. Ancient Jews attributed special holiness to the Kohanim, the priests. And among the priests, the most holy they believed was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, a direct descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. The Kohen Gadol was the only human being who was permitted to enter the Holy of Holies. And despite his special status, he could even, even he could only enter the Kodesh HaKodeshim at a particular time. Of all the days of the year, some are ordinary days and some are holy days, such as Shabbat. The most holy day among those holy days is Yom Kippur. So it was in the ancient world that the holiest among the holy people 
would enter the holiest among the holy places at the holiest time of year on the morning of Yom Kippur. He would enter the Kodesh HaKodeshim, prepare an offering of incense and a short prayer on behalf of the entire world. And if his prayer was proper, the ancient Israelites believed the world would be renewed for another year. So why have we gathered here today? Because the temple in Jerusalem is no longer standing. So our temple is here at home. Thankfully, we no longer worship through sacrificial offerings and we no longer consider any tribe of people inherently more holy than anyone else. We are egalitarian. We no longer need priests to intercede on our behalf with God. In our prayers, today and every day, we address God directly. But given the great reverence and status that the priesthood held in the ancient world, it is perhaps surprising to find a passage in the Talmud which declares a non-Jew who is involved in Torah is equivalent to a high priest. The Talmud may be referring in this instance to someone who was called a ger toshav, usually translated somewhat clumsily as resident alien. So what is a ger toshav and why does the Talmud seem to suggest that they are equivalent to a high priest? It's a bit of a biblical mystery. There are various references throughout the Torah and Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, but they're somewhat technical and legalistic. A ger toshav may not partake in the Pesach offering, but may partake in the Shemitah produce, must be redeemed in the Jubilee year, and may eat trafe food that otherwise would be forbidden. I know this may all be a bit dry, but stay with me because the implications are important. A ger toshav is someone who is not Jewish, but is an integral member of the Jewish community. They are engaged with the Jewish ritual calendar, although the holidays are not their own. They are a part of our people and a part of our homes. At the beginning of this and every high holiday service, Rabbi Simon has welcomed non-Jewish spouses, partners, and family members who are here supporting their Jewish family. I would like to dedicate this sermon to you. On this, the most holy of holy days, I would like to thank you not just for being here, but for all that you do for our community. You are a part of our people. You are a part of our homes. You are a part of the lifeblood of Judaism, and many of us would not be here without you. I would not be here without you. Allow me to elaborate. Many of you already know that I grew up in an interfaith household. My mother, who later in life became a different kind of ger, a ger tzedek, a Jewish convert, 
was a practicing Catholic throughout my upbringing. I've told the story from this bima of my Jewish father marching out into the blowing snow one winter to chop down the biggest, greenest Christmas tree we could find. It was too tall to fit under our vaulted ceiling, so we had to cut off the top. Yes, we had trees. Uh, we had a tree most Decembers, and we opened presents sent by our Christian side of the family. But my sister and I always understood that we were Jewish and these were mom's traditions. When it came time to light the Hanukkah candles or Shabbat candles or make decorations for the sukkah or prepare the house for Passover, she was always right alongside us too, usually leading the way. It's probably not exactly how she envisioned her family as a young girl growing up at a Catholic school on the west side of Cincinnati but I certainly could not ask for a more loving mother. Of course, it's also probably not how my pop imagined his family. He grew up in an Orthodox synagogue, although, as he described it, his family was Orthodox at shul, but secular at home. <laughs> he and his parents even came up with a sort of code to talk about their non-kosher dinner plans in front of his grandparents. <laughs> As a young man, he had very little interest in organized Judaism, preferring instead the do-it-yourself style. So how did this unlikely couple end up with a rabbi for a son? <laughs> Let me go back to the beginning. My grandma, my, my mom's mom, woke up one cold morning to find a mitten placed on her front door handle. Upon further inspection, she saw a young man lying there on the cold concrete of the porch. She called up to her youngest daughter, Linda, your friend's here. It was my pop. He and my mom had been dating for a while when, they, when he set up this trip to see her. Having traveled across several states and facing delay after delay, he arrived for his first visit to my mom's childhood home, so late at night that he didn't want to ring the bell and wake up the house. So, in the days before cell phones, he decided to leave his mitten on the door so that she would not be startled to find him there in the morning. I guess it worked. It's sweet when you think about it. And she must have thought so, too. It seems that her mom did as well. As the matriarch of the family, she was always supportive of my parents' relationship. A devout Catholic to this day, she never taught her daughters that other religions were wrong or bad. She supported their decisions and loved anyone they shared their love with. Whenever I speak to her, she always tells me how proud she is of her daughters, the men that they chose to marry, and all of her grandkids. So my pop spent his first Christmas with this young woman who he would soon go on to marry. They never discussed religion much. Their parents never made their religion an obstacle to their support. I'm told that my father's father was not supportive of the marriage at first, but it may have had as much to do with them being so young or with worries about my dad's career, or lack thereof. 
that he would not be able to support a family. As he puts it, he was, quote, bumming around with no certain future. Pop, if you're watching on the streaming, uh, I think your future turned out pretty well. They were able to find a rabbi and a priest at a recently opened Wild Lake Interfaith Center in Columbia, Maryland, who would both participate in the wedding ceremony, a radical stance at the time and almost unheard of even today. Well, the rabbi had a scheduling mix-up, and they ended up having a second ceremony afterwards where the rabbi set up the chuppah and conducted the Jewish rites. Some five years later, my sister came along, and three years more, I was born. My mom had found herself becoming more and more active in her church. So she went to her priest at the time to ask him what the church had for interfaith families. Aghast, the priest told her, the children must be raised Catholic, period. Well, that was the end of that conversation. Not exactly a welcoming or inclusive experience. Luckily, it was around that same time that they came across an ad in the local newspaper. A newspaper, for those of you who don't know, was like an early version of the internet. <laughs> well, this, this ad publicized a program called Stepping Stones to a Jewish Me, hosted by a Denver area synagogue. The rabbi there, Rabbi Stephen Foster, also Rabbi Simon's uh, former rabbi. Still, still his rabbi. <laughs> rabbi Stephen Foster, uh, who had done my naming ceremony, and this program, Stepping Stones to a Jewish Me, appealed to my parents because it was designed for families like ours. It was not a proselytizing group. It was a cooperative between area synagogues, rabbis, and the JCC that sought to educate and build community among interfaith families. After the two-year program, my parents, who hadn't really talked about religion, talked about religion. It was my Catholic mother who was adamant that a purely cultural practice at home was not enough. We would join a synagogue. Together, they found a small nearby congregation that was really just starting out, but was composed of mostly families like ours. It had, had it not been for my mother's insistence, it's unlikely that I would have grown up in a synagogue at all. She dedicated herself to raising a Jewish family. After raising two Jewish kids to adulthood, organizing a bat mitzvah for my sister and then bar mitzvah service and celebration for me as well, learning all of the recipes of the Jewish holidays, the songs and prayers, the traditions and the teachings, and even how to pronounce the ch sound. <laughs> she realized that she was not a resident alien in the Jewish community. She was a part of it, and it was a part of her. My father dedicated himself to in a way that I doubt he had dreamed of, he served on the board of the temple. He reconnected with his own Judaism, was honored at high holiday services, and he remains active in his Judaism to this day. While their story is remarkable, it is not unique. 
Many families that fill this sacred space today include a ger toshav. You know who you are. You're the ones who are a part of our families and the fabric of our Jewish community, although you are not Jewish yourselves. You are the unsung heroes. You support and celebrate with your partners. You attend services and family events. You light candles. You learn the traditions of Judaism so that you can teach your children so that they can feel at home in this community and the continuity of Jewish peoplehood. You make our families stronger and our congregation more vibrant. It's not always easy and you are rarely recognized for the important work that you do. It is an act of the greatest and purest love. The Talmud tells us that a non-Jew who is involved in Torah is equivalent to a high priest. That is you. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was one of the greatest tragedies and inflection points of Jewish history. Up until then, our entire practice had been centered around the temple, the Kohanim, and the offerings. With its destruction, we became a people cut off from our center. It was the greatest work of the rabbis in the following generations that saved us. They understood that without a center, Judaism would be dismantled as well. So they found new ways to connect with God through prayer and observances. They moved the center. The new center of Judaism became not the temple, but the home. Instead of loaves of showbread in the temple courtyard, we bless challah at our Shabbat tables. Instead of burning incense in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, we light candles. Our kitchen and dining room tables are our altars now. Our prayers are our offerings. These Jewish temples, these Jewish homes would not exist without you. Every Jewish home that you establish is like rebuilding a temple. And as a rabbi once told my mother, every potential Jewish home devoid of Judaism is like the destruction of a temple. When you make Judaism possible in your home, you are equivalent to a Kohen Gadol. When you embrace and support traditions that are not your own, you are building up Judaism. Today is a day of correcting what is wrong in our homes and our world, and you have not always received your due. So on this, the holiest day of the year, in this holy space, I want to do my part in correcting that. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all that you do every day of the year to make our community what it is. May you and all who are here this morning be sealed in the book of life for a good year and in the book of lives well lived. Gamar Chatzimah Tovah.